the wrath of God revealed. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, we're in Revelation 16. We've been in this series in Revelation, and 15 had to do with setting up chapter 16 to tell us what was going to happen, and now 16 gives us full details. Look at verse 1. It says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people, pay attention, came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. I want you to understand something. We're going to go through this entire chapter today. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not taken the mark of the beast and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, none of this is going to affect you. Can I get a amen? Can I get a yes? Thank God. Hallelujah. Right? So this is not about God pouring out wrath on the people who he loves, who he rescued and ransomed. This is about a good, just God who's been telling us from our beginning that he loves, but he also judges. And now, in totality, we're going to see this effect all over the earth in this chapter on those who've taken the mark of the beast and who've worshipped its image. So it's important for you to know that there is judgment coming to the people who do these things. Look at verse 3. It says, The second angel poured out his bowl, a bowl of judgment, into the sea. And it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Verse 5, and I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Verse 7, and I heard the altar saying, now this is very interesting because altars that we know of are either made of stone or wood, they're handmade, man-made items. This altar, John in his vision, he is hearing a voice come from the altar as if the altar speaking and the altar says, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. God as a father is doling out a punishment to those who have assaulted his his people, his children, those who are standing in opposition and he has every right to be angry and to pour out wrath and judgment on them. So, in verse 7, it finishes by saying he heard the altar say, "Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I want you to, if you're taking notes this morning, or if you want to jot this down or take a note in your phone, I want you this week to go back and read the story in Exodus chapters 7 through 12. 
That is the dramatic telling of the plagues that happened in Egypt. What we're seeing in today's message, and you'll continue to see, you'll notice some things. There are some parallels and connections of a thread that runs from the plagues against Egypt all the way back then to then happening the trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8, which were impartial. They were small. Do you guys remember Revelation 8? It says, and a third was this, and a third was that. In in essence, there's, there's a bunch of, not half, but there's a bunch of punishment that's partially poured out in Revelation chapter 8. Now in Revelation 16, the totalitarian nature, the comprehensive nature of God's wrath is being revealed on those who stand in opposition to him. Can I just say something to you by the Spirit of God this morning? Do not ever be a person who stands in opposition to God. It's not a wise place. It's not a sure footing to stand on. It's a bad thing. There are people that are convinced throughout history that they've been working in the name of God and they've committed heinous acts. There are people who have divided churches. Ooh, let me preach to some other church down the street. There are people that have divided churches because they thought what they were doing was on behalf of God. I'm telling you something, church. We don't have any church drama right now. I'm not jumping on a soapbox. I am telling you, in any future place you find yourself in the family of God, do not dare be the person who stands in opposition to God's word. Don't be that person. Be a person of unity, not a person of gossip. Be a person who loves, not a person who despises or divides. Be a person that builds up and encourages those in the body of Christ. Don't be the dividing line. Amen? Can I get a louder amen? Amen. So the trumpet judgments in chapter 8 of Revelation are partial. And then now these are comprehensive. If you paid attention as we were reading those first few verses, there's um, a connection there because it says it's poured out on the sea. And it starts talking about the sea turning into blood. There's a clear correlation between the plagues that happened on Egypt in Exodus 7 through 12. The Egyptians were given a plague, a plague of boils. Has anybody in here ever known someone who had a boil on their skin? Okay. Or had one or an infected, you know, blister or splinter that turned into something. It's gross. It's sore. It's painful. I got one earlier in the week and it's still kind of healing from using a rake. I, I was just, and then I got a blister and it, it's painful. It's annoying. It's in a bad spot. Every time I put my hands in my pocket, it's bad. Listen to me. The Egyptians had a plague of boils placed on them as a sign of God's judgment in his attempt to deliver his people. Fast forward a few thousand years from that moment to the moment in the future that this is going to happen. And this is the irony of how God works. He said, this is my paraphrase. He said, oh, you want to take the mark of the beast and mark yourself by worshiping another God, I will mark you for sure. Because a plague of boils comes on these people in the future. Sores all over the body. And so God's judgment is being poured out and it is hurting them physically. And you're going to see later on in this chapter, 
despite all of the warnings, despite all of these plagues that come and get poured out, they refuse to repent and allow God to love them and accept them like they just won't turn from their sin. And so they're going to continue to face the judgment of God. The second and third bowls uh, that we talked about in those first few verses remind us of the plagues that affected the Nile River. If you remember, the Nile River in Egypt, when Moses turned the water into blood, it says all the fish died. I want you to listen, like with your, engage your mind this morning. All the fish died. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the livelihood of Egypt was now in the hands of God because they couldn't fish, they couldn't sell the fish, they couldn't eat the fish. All the fish are dead, like your provision is gone and your life itself because they couldn't drink the water. So now they're having to go out to deserted places or dig wells and things like that because of the river being turned to blood. So now here we are in Revelation and that same thing is showing up. The second bold judgment parallels the second trumpet from Revelation chapter 8. Whereas in chapter 8 it says a third of the sea was struck and turned to blood and things died. Everything in the sea died. Now in that part of the sea. Now, in 16, it says that everything has died that was in the sea. Now, understand this, and children, you should listen to me closely. This is not one geographical sea, nor do I think, based on my study of God's word, that it is only talking about water. If you go back in our series, two or three messages, we talked about how Chaos is represented through the deep, through the abyss, through the words of water that happened throughout Scripture. That represented storms, chaos, challenge, all of those things. So now, what God is demonstrating in His power and His judgment is that He is the true authority over all things and that He is still defeating chaos and He is eliminating chaos. So this is not just fish with gills that end up dying in a river somewhere. This is more than that. I want you to get... Actually, this past Friday, we had a helicopter visit CCA um, to deliver a game ball. It was pretty awesome. I don't know if you were around town on Friday night and heard a helicopter. It landed on our baseball field. It was pretty cool. But let me just tell you, when God chooses to dole out these punishments, it's going to be more powerful than anything you've ever heard or seen before. I mean, when the, the helicopter was whirring and all of the things like dirt was coming up everywhere, loud noise, all of that, John is going to tell us in just a few verses that there was never a sound heard or things seen as there will be in this day when God doles out these punishments on those who have been marked by the beast and by worshiping him. So I want you to understand it's not just a physical geographical sea. It represents something greater. I want you to have a helicopter view. I want you to look down at the entirety of this. Having said that, I'm going to say something that might burst some of your bubble a little bit, and I hope it doesn't. 
I hope that you are more stable in your faith than to believe this. But there are some end times profiteers who have written whole books and do entire things about the book of Revelation and how it talks about Russia, 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 or China, 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 or I can't believe that this... Listen, those nations were not nations during the time that John is writing. He's not writing in a special code. When he talks about Babylon, he's talking about all wicked kingdoms of the world. He's not just simply talking about a geographical location that we would love to pin the tail on. You know, that's the donkey that's going to really get it. It's not that. It's not Russia. It's not China. It's every wicked deed done, every wicked influencer, every government leader, politician, every entertainment artist, every human, even down to the lowest of the low, if you would say maybe the homeless, everybody from the rich to the poor, those who have taken the mark, they are the ones who will be affected. So when we talk about or you hear Babylon, it's John trying to get you to understand in the context of scripture, what Babylon represented, it represented chaos and bad things that happened to the Israelites. So Babylon now is much bigger than a single city. It transverses time, geography, political party, anything, any of those things. So do not, to use it, to use an old word, do not believe any of the hogwash about it being, or malarkey, pick whatever old term you want to use, um, do not believe that it's, this is specifically about Russia or China or something. It's about every bit of wickedness being eradicated because Jesus is coming back. This is awesome. So, the water language is not just literal waters, although what John saw is undoubtedly he's telling us what he's seeing, but it's meant to help us look at something much larger. In fact, if you look through the book of Revelation, you'll see water, sand of the sea, the edge of the sea, all of those things. When it's talking about those, it's not just talking about one specific piece of property. It's talking about all of those who oppose God. All the nations, listen to me, that are under the dominion of hostile supernatural forces. That is, anyone who is not under the influence, the rulership, and the sovereignty of God himself, everyone else stands in opposition. I said this last week in some way. I'll re rephrase it and repurpose it this week. God gives a binary choice. Two. Just two. That's it. You're with him or you're against him. There's not an in-between middle ground. And you've got to figure out how to articulate that well to the people around you who are unknowingly, unwittingly standing in opposition to God in order to bring them and get them on the team. Amen? We prayed for that this morning in Pray First for people by name who need to be brought on to the team, into the family of God. So the target is not dirt, it's not water, it's not grass. The target is people who have been influenced by the mark and by the beast. Um, look again at verse 6. It says, it is what they deserve. There are many different, different definitions of the word grace. Uh, people have defined it all sorts of ways. Mercy, several different attributes like that. There are a bunch of different ways to describe them. 
I've heard a good definition of grace, which is receiving something good that I don't deserve. Aren't you glad, even though you are undeserving, that God sent his son Jesus to die for you? Amen? So if you are willing to accept that which you do not deserve, you will avoid what you do deserve. This is good news for us. Go with me to Psalm 79. You say, Pastor, I thought you were in Revelation. Listen, we're in the Bible today. Okay? Revelation, uh, Psalm 79, rather, verses 1 through 3 say this, and you might be familiar with this. Um, verse 1, it says this, O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple, and they've laid Jerusalem in ruins. Now, this is a song they used to sing in church. Okay, this is what the Psalms were, is songs that were set to music, or lyrics that were set to music, rather. And so there is a song after the Babylonian captivity that gets written and included in Scripture, and it's Psalm 79. It says, God, the nations have come and they've messed up your plan, these evil, wicked forces. They've defiled your holy temple. They've laid Jerusalem in ruins. Verse 2, they've given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. When Babylon took over and exiled the people, listen to me, Babylon was used by God to correct his people for their idolatry. But that doesn't mean that God is not going to give Babylon what they truly deserve for having been those wicked forces. It says that they literally killed the Israelites and left their bodies and did not allow them to be buried, left them out for the birds of the field to peck on them. This is terrible imagery. And this is part of the song that they used to sing in Psalm 79. Look at what it says in verse 3. They've poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem and there was no one to bury them. Jumping to verse 10. Why should the nation say... Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. So Psalm 79 is talking in reference to what his desire. He literally is saying, God, how long before you get them back for what they did to us? It's okay to pray like that. Listen to me. Do you hear me? <laughs> It's okay to pray like that. And this worship leader is writing these lyrics down saying, God, when are you going to give them back what they deserve? They've poured out the blood of your servants. They've treated, mistreated us. They've terrorized us. God, avenge us. The point is this. Things are going to come full circle. Babylon will be captive to a force that is stronger than Babylon. Amen? Look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. I think we have that for you on the screen. You don't have to flip to that single verse, but I'll just read it to you. It says, Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. This is Moses singing a song. You can look it up. Read the entire chapter. I think it's good. It says, Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. Small g. 
For he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and he cleanses his people's land. This is a good God who avenges his people. He avenges his people and takes vengeance out on his adversaries. So this is a holistic approach. This is not just a God is love. Here's the deal. You under you misunderstand and you undermine the truest definition of love if you think it is utter acceptance and approval. If that's all it is, it's not love. Okay, on to the next bowls. Uh, chapter 16 of Revelation, verse 8. Look at what it says. It says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. So here now, there have been some things that are happening if you're paying attention to the elements of the earth. There are things that have happened to water sources or resources. Now the sun has been allowed to produce fierce heat and scorch the earth and the people who are on it who were enduring these plagues, boils and all these things. And now it says they still did not repent and give him glory. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Do you remember the plague of Egypt when darkness fell on the land? A darkness that was tangible, like you literally could feel the darkness because there was a complete absence of light. I know I've shared that story with you before. If you've ever been in a cave, you know what I'm talking about. When you get deep in a cave, that is dark like you've never been in dark before. That is, you have no sensory, like everything is just wild, a wild experience when you are in utter darkness. And now this angel is pouring out his bowl of wrath and it's going on to the throne of the beast. You say, well, pastor, where is that located? It's not a geographical location. John is saying that the sovereignty of the beast that he has held, his rulership that he has held over and sway, that he has held over the wicked kingdoms and the evil people of the world, what he has done now, the, this angel is pouring out God's wrath on all of that. And it says, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. I don't know if you can... Imagine how painful you must be in a spot to actually like bite your tongue that hard. But it says that they gnawed their tongues in anguish. What John is seeing is dramatic and it's devastating. That is what's coming. And that's why you should tell people that God loves them. That Jesus wants them to be part of his family. Because we want them to avoid this terrible, horrible future. Verse 11, it says this, And they cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores, and they still did not repent of their deeds. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl. Pay attention to the references that John gives. 
Although we're saying that these things are like Babylon is not just one specific location. It's all of the evil kingdoms of the world. When he gives a reference to something like this, where he says the bowl gets poured out on the great river Euphrates, your ears should perk up. And if you're reading this at home by yourself, you should take time to start looking through other references in the Bible about the river Euphrates. If you did that, like I did this week, then you would know that the Babel, the city of Babel and the tower that happens in the Bible was set on the bank of the Euphrates. You would know that the kingdom of Babylon was bordered by the Euphrates. You would hear when it says here in the same verse, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. If you are in Israel, to the east of you is Babylon and the Euphrates. So essentially, all of the wicked kingdoms of the world are going to be punished. And this is not just President so-and-so or Prime Minister so-and-so. This is every single person who stands in opposition to God, as well as those who rule them. Verse 13, it says this, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, Three unclean spirits like frogs. This is so wild and weird. Scripture is clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That we are physical in, in substance. But we are spiritual in essence. You are a spirit inhabiting a body. There is a real spiritual realm. I don't think you understand. Some of you get this, but I'm telling you, you need to understand there's a real spiritual realm. And in that realm, there is a war. There was a war the day, Marcia, that you decided to follow Jesus. There was a battle that day to try to keep you from saying yes. There's a war that goes on before you get water baptized. There's a war that goes on in the spiritual realm. There are things that happen and occur. And I think sometimes we would just like to, nah, that's just for scary movies and stuff. No, there are real spirits at work. There are spirits at work in these Creatures, the dragon and the beast and the prophet that we hear about here. And it says these unclean spirits, which is the same phrase that is used when Jesus is ministering to people and casting out spirits. It says the same exact phrase in the New Testament. These unclean spirits come out. They are like frogs. Now, you can dive into this, but suffice it to say, there's a lot of imagery in chapter 16 that leads you back to Exodus because there was a plague involving what? Frogs. I like frogs, but I don't like them that much. <laughs> to have them everywhere all the time. Verse 14. For they are demonic spirits. Frogs are not demonic spirits. If you have a little terrarium at home with frogs in it, don't take this as a sign that you are having an evil spirit in the house, okay? The point is this, there is a real spiritual battle and there is only one victor. 
So verse 14 says they're demonic spirits and they are performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Verse 15 continues, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. There's something significant about verse 15 that I'll let you discover on your own. It's called a parenthetical. Essentially, I believe this is an insertion of God directly speaking. I am coming like a thief. In other words, you won't know when it's happening. So stay awake and keep yourself ready. All of a sudden, I remember Ephesians telling me, Paul telling the church at Ephesus and me listening to that same message myself of putting on the full armor of God to stand strong in the day of adversity. So verse 16 says this, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Not going to say another word about Armageddon today, <laughs> which I know if you read ahead and you're like, ooh, pastor's in chapter 16. I'm so excited because we're going to finally hear about the battle of Armageddon. It's not today. Okay. It's not today. Four elements of conception of matter in the Hellenistic world were earth, wind, water, <laughs> and fire. <laughs> I know you're like, oh, I, I listened to that band when I was growing up. Earth, wind, and fire. Okay, listen. Earth, water, wind, and fire. They are the elements that the Hellenists believed, the Hellenistic Greeks, like those and Jews at that point, that that wisdom, the prevailing wisdom, was everything was made of these four things. Every one of those things is hit in some way in chapter 16. God asserting his authority over all things. I'm telling you, there's spiritual stuff in here for you today. Because you're dealing with something in your own life. It might be at your job. It might be in a marriage. It might be in a family relationship. It might be fear about your future. Whatever it is, and you are tempted by the dragon to believe that God cannot help with that or that he doesn't see that or that he still hasn't answered about that. I'm telling you, you serve a God who hears, who lives, who sees, who's coming back for you. He loves you. He wants you healed and whole. He wants those relationships repaired. He wants those things. He wants to demonstrate his sovereignty. The way he does that is when we submit ourselves to him and say, Jesus, you have me. I will build my life on you, like we sang that song earlier. So, essentially, I want you to understand, John is seeing something that God is proving the point that there's not going to be a single stone unturned. Everything is going to be affected everywhere that they have accepted the mark of the beast, worshiped the beast fallen for the beast, been influenced by him. God isn't going to miss any one of them. No one's going to get away from this. Um, so it's a totalitarian or a comprehensive look at the judgment. Um, look at, let's go to, well, let me tell you this, because we've been talking about Babylon, and then we'll jump to verse 17. Okay. Follow this linear pattern. Okay. A line. 
the creation. This is the flow of human history in the Bible. It starts with what? Somebody call it out. Creation. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Starts with creation. And then what happens? The fall because of sin. And then what happens after the fall? The waters rise. Noah, right? Okay, the flood. So we've got creation, the fall, then we've got the flood. Then after about a hundred years after the flood, you've got Babel. And there's this whole ordeal that happens in Genesis chapter 11 on the bank of the Euphrates River where they decide that they're going to build a tower. You should read that story because it's as a result of that that God says he divides up, his word says, he divided up the nations and he gave them over to serve other gods. Little G. And he said, I will have a people myself. I will have a people. And his grand plan was to make all people available, like accessible for all people to come and be part of his people. Amen. But in those days, in that linear, in that line of history, Egypt becomes, because after the flood, after Babel, then Abraham gets called. You're going to be a a father of many nations. He's like, what's happening? I'm taking you through the Bible. Then the nation becomes a nation and they're persecuted in a place called Egypt. Egypt. God says, I'm going to persecute the persecutor. That's what he did. So he did that and set them free. So then later on, it says that the Israelites, the children of Israel, they worshipped other gods from foreign nations and entities. We've talked about this before. When they did that, though, that was a slap in the face to God. And they were standing in opposition to him. So he allowed Babylon to exile them to ruin Jerusalem, all of those things. So Egypt used to be the primary force of chaos, but then Babylon took over and it displaced Egypt in that role. And it's used as this emblem all throughout Scripture. So again, Babylon is not just one little tiny territory or one little city. It's this understanding that they are the ones who have done wrong towards God's people and in essence done wrong towards God, to God, stand in opposition to him. And he is not going to stand for that much longer. Can I get an amen? So, verse 17 tells us about the seventh bowl. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. If you're a believer and you've ever heard about the story and the details of Jesus' death on a cross, this ought to just shake you to make you remember him saying, it is finished. The redemption part, that moment, Jesus was saying, it is finished. Now there's another voice in the future that is going to say, it is is done. It is finished. So God's wrath is going to be poured out, but, but we can avoid it. That's so awesome. Just don't take the mark of the beast. Okay. Uh, verse 18, it says this, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city split into three parts. And the cities, listen to it, church. The cities of the nations fell. 
And God remembered Babylon the Great. It's funny because that's a lower G, a lowercase G. Babylon the Great. To make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. It says this, and this is John speaking. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Pastor, I came here for a good, good message this morning and we just talked about the wrath of God being revealed. It's good in two respects. One, to know that God is who he says he is. And he said, I will avenge and he is going to get them back. That's good. And then number two, it really should light a fire in your heart to try to speak about your faith and share the love of Christ with others. That's what this is about. It's not about frogs and boils and it's about drawing people. God bless you. It's about drawing people to a decision. And I wonder, I know you have a busy life. I've got one too. I wonder if the person who bags the groceries at the store or the person that you see at the doctor's office or the coworker that you work with, I wonder if they may come to a decision in the future and they may be really, really sad at the fact that they were never confronted with this truth because God's family is big and it's only getting bigger and he wants it to grow. Amen? If you're an introvert, I know you feel like I'm just kind of going after you today. I'm not. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Even introverts can share their faith. I know a lot of them who have shared their faith. You can do that. And there are some extroverts who need to learn how to tame (laughs) some of their crazy wildness um, in order to make sure that people actually come to Jesus. Here's the point. Jesus says his door is open. Anyone who wants to can come in. And our job is to go literally to use the old language to the highways and the byways and to invite them all to come in. Even the boss that we don't like, even the mean in-law, even the distant relative that we don't get to talk to very often, whatever the case may be, you fill in the blank. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that too. But let's be a people that share our faith with others and don't hide. There's no reason to hide. There is a day where everything will be exposed and the wrath of God will be revealed. And we don't want to be around (laughs) when that happens. So the good news is God is who he says he is. And the other aspect is we have a job to do and a message to share with those who are around us. If you're at a place where you say, you know, pastor, I don't think I'm doing that great of a job in sharing my faith with others. I could use some boldness. I could use some strengthening in that area. Then by all means, step out and get prayed for today. I'm going to head this way and get prayer for myself. 
So let's do that. Heavenly Father, I pray today over Celebrate Church. Lord, we know because of what John wrote down in the Revelation that there is going to be very dark days ahead for those who stand in opposition to you. I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that there would be no one who hears this message that stands in opposition to you, but that they would submit to you and give their life to you. And Lord, I pray for us today as we receive prayer for various and different reasons that you would help us be assured of your love for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.